I'd have you open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're going to take a look at the 18th through the 30th verse. We're going to continue that process we've been going through as a body of believers to see what Paul is saying to us about this life in the Spirit and how it is different. And I got to tell you, I'm excited about this morning. You know, one of the things I'm always praying for as I spend time in the Word of God, I want the Holy Spirit to take that Word of His, bring into my circumstances, and create this unbelievable supernatural collision. And so I I share this message to you about God's prescription for our walk through injustice, failures, and shortcomings. I want you to know this is a message that is really for me. It's a message that helps me find that sense of hope, that sense of life in the midst of very frustrating and at times angering and at times disappointing experiences that we all share together in our individual lives or maybe possibly for us as a a culture where we find ourselves at this moment. I've got some slides which I'll be sharing with you, and I have to confess to you, they're my rough draft. I'm actually will probably be giving this message in a couple weeks someplace else. And uh, my son, uh, Bryce, I've commissioned him to take these and make them into look like a graffiti wall. So we didn't get a chance to do that this week, but here's the rough draft. So I want to just remind you where Pastor Trenton left off last week. So open your Bibles and take a look at that last verse in chapter 8, verse 17, that he covered. Talks about us being heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And then look at that word, if. Indeed, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. And I have to share with you that just almost becomes overwhelming. It becomes something that at times we gloss over Who wants to talk about a purposeful strategy of sharing in the sufferings of Christ? And and it does get picked up in the next verse and the section we're going to be speaking about. But but let me lay the groundwork for you where I think we're going to head and what the point of this message is and where the Spirit took my life my circumstances, and the Word of God, and and caused what I would call a holy collision. And like, wow, God's speaking to me. I hope he speaks to you too. I think all of us recognize that in our world, we have injustice. In fact, we've spent considerable time over the last couple of years talking and learning and hearing people discuss this concept of injustice. We've seen protests, we've seen cars and cities and city halls burning down. We even saw our capital by rioters as well uh, um, uh, expressing their dissatisfaction with what they felt was going on. So we see across the spectrum this world of injustice we find ourselves in. And I think we also, particularly as a believing community, we find ourselves, as we take a look at this opening slide, find ourselves in the midst of the degradation of culture. I don't know about you, but I find myself every day opening up the newspaper on my iPad or or watching a news forecast, and I'm kind of shaking my head. 
I'm watching declarations of how we're supposed to talk about gender, how we're supposed to talk about relationships, how we're supposed to talk about race, and in many ways, it just seems almost overwhelming, and everyone's redefining and saying, here's who I define myself to be. You must take a knee. You must bow to my definition and my declaration. It's overwhelming of what is allowed to be in our culture and our society. It becomes a weight that we feel often as a believing community trying to live out this righteousness that we've been gifted to us by Christ and we're called to express in our everyday. I think we also see it in our personal pain. Even for my family this week, we've spent twice over the last two weeks in the midst of grief. Last Saturday, I drove down to Minneapolis to do the memorial service for my aunt who had such an impact in my life growing up in the same town. And when I began ministry, I lived with her and my uncle Stu and we did her service remembering her life, remembering what life was all about. But we're still, even at her age, shocked by how quickly she died. This week, Thursday, I couldn't go to the service because of the responsibilities here, but my 51-year-old cousin, again, grew up with close to tremendous individual, loved the Lord, all of a sudden died of a heart attack, a stroke. And all of a sudden we're grieving, going, there is a world full of pain. So I think we recognize that we live in a world of injustice. We, we live in a world of the degradation of our culture. We live in a world of personal pain. And if we were to take a look at the testimony of Scripture, we'd say the same thing. Paul had his own experiences. If we were to look in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, and 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28, we would see very clearly in those passages, Paul talks about his journey. He was shipwrecked, bit by snakes, beaten, run out of cities. He experienced his own sense of suffering in his pursuit of God. I love the book of Philippians. Paul's talking about his imprisonment in Rome, and he begins to convey to them that there actually were persecution and suffering because of the church. There were people preaching the gospel, not for people to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus, but were preaching the gospels just to drive a, a, a knife in the back of Paul. And he says, regardless, Christ is being preached. He knew about suffering. The scriptures... Can't open up a section of Scripture and not see in the New Testament as well in the Old Testament that suffering is part of the journey that you and I will find ourselves on. You can take a look at on the screen there, 1 Peter 5.10, 2 Corinthians 4.17, 2 Peter 3.12, James 1.12, Philippians 3.10, Luke 14, verse 27. There are all of these Scripture passages and way more that say to us that one of the things that we should anticipate and expect is suffering in our lives. But beyond Paul's experience and beyond the testimony of Scripture, I've lived in town here 10 years, been going to church here 10 years. We have our own story of suffering, don't we? It may be in our marriages. It may be with our kids. It may be where we find ourselves in our culture. It may be found in a loss of job or a financial decision that didn't go its way. It may be found in how we feel culture is treating us. We also, just like Paul, just like the Testament of Scripture, can validate this idea that suffering is part of our experience. Would you agree with me? But here's the challenge. If you take a look at that diagram I put up there, I put a dotted line because Paul says, 
that in this life in the Spirit and the thing that God has given us, we're supposed to share in his suffering, or I call have a living hope in the midst of a broken world. That even though there's brokenness all around us, even though there's a degradation of culture and injustice, even though our lives are filled still with what we call pain and trials and difficulties, Paul says we are to find a way to say this is part of God's plan, God's purposes, and we're going to actually live hope in the midst of a broken world. But here's where it gets tricky. Here's where it gets challenging, and here's where it nails me between the eyes. So often, we get caught up in it all, don't we? Man, these last few years, our country's been caught up in it. And what do we see displayed, not just in the world, outside the church and outside the believing community, what we see is what? Anger. What we see is unbelievable expressions of frustration. What we see is hopelessness. And and so what I want to do is walk into this passage and say, hey, God's called us to say this suffering is meant to be part of our journey and we're called to live hope in the midst of a broken world. But I'm afraid that if we don't apply what God has for us, we are going to continue to get caught up in anger, frustration, and as well, a sense of hopelessness to our world. So what does that look like? We'll take a look at the first verse of our passage for today, verse 18. Paul continues this discussion. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. I would write down on my piece of paper there that when it comes to suffering, let me get principle number one out of the way. We need to anticipate it and even expect it. It should never catch us off guard. We should never be surprised about what's happening in our world. Paul has told us in his world there was suffering. We have scriptures tell us in our world there will be suffering, and our testimony validates that. We should anticipate it and even expect it, but he calls us throughout the passage to choose to live with it differently. Paul uses the word consider. You can see the Greek word up there on the screen. It really means it's a a mathematical, an accounting term. This really is a cognitive process. Much of the journey we take is going to be found in how we think about the circumstances we find ourselves in. We need God to come and to bring us the right thoughts, the right ideas about the world, about our suffering, about where we find ourselves. And he goes on to say that it's not worth comparing. That's the whole concept of a scale. Paul says if you really fully understand what God is doing, if you fully comprehend, if you were to calculate it like an accounting sheet, the scale would be so imbalanced between what God is going to reveal versus what we're experiencing today that it should be such an overwhelming imbalance that it changes how we think, how we act, how we behave, and how we feel about our world. And he talks about this idea, this idea of glory, this idea of light, this idea of God's completion of his plan. And we stand there and we marvel and our jaws drop and say, wow, this is what I thought it was going to be like, and it far exceeds even those expectations. How many of you have watched the Olympics? 
good. Did you watch some of that 10-meter diving in the women's division? This relatively unknown 14-year-old Chinese girl, about as thin as my finger, short hair, gets on that diving board, and she pulled off two perfect dives, complete tens from every judge, not to mention the multiple tens she received on her previous dives. At 14 years of old, someone unknown to most of the world still has not reached her full potential. We get a taste of the unbelievable talent and giftedness in her diving. I love the backstory. You know why she took up diving? She had a sick mother, and she was looking for a way to financially provide for her sick mother in China. That's what got her engaged in diving. And here she comes, and we get a small taste, and we're going to get a chance to see over a period of time the magnificent diving that she will provide for not only China, but for the rest of the world to see and to celebrate. That's what we're going to be doing. We're going to have our jaws dropped. We're going to be shocked. We're going to be amazed about what God's final plan is going to look like. And we need to keep that in our mind, in our heart, that gives us that sense of hope. It's a, it's a process that needs to happen here that needs to be aided by the Spirit. But it's what allows us to move beyond anger, frustration, and hopelessness and move to a sense of, of hope in the midst of it all. We need to anticipate and even expect it. The second context concept I'd write down is very simply this. Recognize the flow of everything. Let let, let me read to you a a, a couple of verses from our text. Paul goes on to say that we go through this process of considering our sufferings in comparison to the coming glory. He says, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into glorious freedom with the children of God. We know, verse 22, that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who are the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But the hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what one already has? Let's talk about that. I call this recognize the flow of everything. Are any science buffs out there? So I don't have to worry about anyone being smarter than me? Anybody smarter than me out there? All the hands should go up right now. Trust me. They should all go up. Well, I don't know if you know it. Um, there is what's called the theory of everything. One of the things that physicists have been trying to do is to find a, a hypothetical framework that explains all known physical phenomena in the universe. Researchers have searched for such a model ever since the development of quantum mechanics and Albert Einstein's theory of relativity since the 20th century. It's called the TOE. They're still trying to figure out what that is. What is it that ties everything together? Paul gives us not the theory of everything. He gives us the flow of everything. He gives us a framework by which all of creation, all of Scripture, everything that we know understands where things are flowing toward. And he talks about this idea 
But the creation itself is doing what? It's waiting in eager expectation for the fulfillment of God's purposes. It says clearly in this passage that because of sin, God subjected the very physical creation that we find ourselves into futility, into um, this sense of destruction, this sense of chaos that at times we experience in the midst of our creation. But he says all of creation, it's like little kids, it says, who are standing on their tiptoes. They are so excited about what God's doing that creation is personified as trying to, on their tiptoes, look over the fence to get a glimpse of what it's finally going to look like when God brings his new heaven and his new earth to fulfillment. And it's not just a new heaven, a new earth. He talks about how we're going to have a, a, the full sense of what it means to be adopted as one of God's sons and fellow heirs and receiving everything. And he talks very specifically about this idea that we're going to have, as we look at the rest of the testimony of Scripture, these resurrected bodies. Creation groans. We, we had a great family trip just a few weeks ago. We went to uh, Vail, Colorado, and, and, and spent most of our days just hiking uh, in the woods. Spent one of our days riding the mountain um, down, not up. See, I'm smarter than you think, okay? Um, And you get out in creation, and you're standing there, and you can't see civilization. And you see these beautiful mountains and these valleys and the green grass and the trees and the flowers and the different colorations. And you see the clouds in the background and you start to get a little sense of this is just a small taste. This is just a minor groaning of what's in store for us when the new heaven and the new earth comes. We see the groanings when we get a chance to admire the beauty of God's creation. We also see the groanings as we're coming up on the one-year anniversary of Duratio in Iowa, where all of a sudden this world that God created that is so intricately connected together is a little bit off kilter. And what do we see? We see things like Duratio that flatten 10 million acres of corn and take roofs off houses and cause trees to follow everywhere. Christy and I saw that kind of devastation we were living in Orlando, Florida and pastoring there when three hurricanes, one after another, came through Florida. One of our sons was born right before one, took him right from the hospital, took him to the church. We housed 60 people and rode the storm out together. We know that there is these things that happen in creation. It's all part of the groaning, and we see this devastation. We see this pain. We see the wildfires consuming millions of acres of our land, and we hear the groanings that there must be something more for this beautiful creation than just the chaos at times we experience and the devastation that comes from it. Paul says here it's not just creation that groans because it knows that God subjected the creation to futility, but he has a purpose to fulfill it as well. He says what? We believers also groan. At least we're supposed to. I'll never forget. 31 years ago, going to Orlando, Florida, starting out as a youth pastor in a brand new congregation. And some of my greatest support and encouragement came from what I would call the prayer warriors of our church, just a title that we gave them in the midst of, of everything that was going on. And these particular prayer warriors, what I love about them is just, I still can remember their names. It's Margaret and Lois Christie, remember? It's Bob and Betty. It's uh, Dottie and uh, Dave. 
Um, it's Florence, who I would spend time when they came to the church, go in and spend a half hour with them, allowing them to pray for me as one of their pastors, a pray for our youth ministry. It was a way for us just to connect uh, with uh, those moments. They were just fantastic. They were about as conservative as you possibly could get. Um, uh, uh, as prayer warriors. But uh, let me tell you something. We had such a cool relationship. I'll never forget the night. I think I was doing something on stress or anxiety, and I would spend all day getting the room, because it was a multi-purpose room, all set up. And I remember I took every book from my library, and I had a large library. Had them stacked up category on tables to talk about stress. And we were going to do a game. One of my kids, Chris, had an old beat-up Volkswagen VW. I mean, it had probably... 50 different colors on it, if you can possibly imagine. Rust, it was just kind of a character car he drove around, ugly as all get out. I decided we're gonna see how many kids we could stack inside of the Volkswagen bug. Except, I didn't wanna do that outside. I wanted to do that inside. So I'll never forget, here come my most radical push the limit kids. For some reason, we had some sort of dress up. They were wearing towels around their waists. They had no shirts on and had their underwear on their head. And we took that Volkswagen bug and we rolled it into the church. We got through the doors about that wide and rolled it into the fellowship hall, like going into the gathering place, and put that inside of there. And there stood my prayer warriors watching this go on. You know what I loved? They asked me, Pastor John, what's going on? explained to him what was going on, and they said, oh, great, we'll pray for you, and walked in the other room. I just love that connection and sharing together of generation and generation, and, and them jumping on board to watch young people come to Christ. But you know what I love for me? I had a chance to be in the room with them when they wept because they were praying for the coming of the Lord Jesus, but said, Lord, we'll patiently wait. We'll walk through this suffering for more people to come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. They were groaning with the Spirit inside of them, longing for what God had in store, not merely complaining about the circumstances they found themselves in. Isn't that a phenomenal experience? That's phenomenal. That's what he's talking about, this kind of of groaning that creation and believers have as they look with tiptoes trying to see just a glimpse from the scriptures of what the new heaven and new earth and what it means to be fully adopted as a child of God and what it means to have what we call this new body that God promises us. Isn't that amazing? Well, then the third concept is simply this. We then need to take and infuse every situation with what I call hope plus. With what I call hope plus. Let me reread a couple verses for you. Chapter 8, verses 24 through 27. Look what it says here. For it's, Paul says, for in this hope we are saved. So we have this experience. But that hope that is seen is no hope at all who hopes for what he already has. Makes sense. But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans and words that we cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. Infuse every situation with what I call hope plus. Here's the reality. Life can be overbearing. There are mornings I wake up 
in trying to start a new business. There are mornings that I wake up and between working with all the different community organizations that I'm trying to work with to try to create a better community. There are mornings I wake up with my engagement in my politics and it just becomes what? Overwhelming. I wake up with a scowl on my face. I wake up with the weight of the world on my shoulders. And I just keep saying, Lord, is there one more thing you're going to put upon my shoulders? Oh, yes, we're sending one to college this year. And it just gets to be what? A weight. I'm not involved with a single organization in the city, the county, and the nonprofit that doesn't have conflict. Because put two people in a room together is a definition of what? Conflict. Is there conflict here? Of course there is. There's conflict here. The weight becomes overwhelming. And I believe what God does is he calls me in this text to infuse every situation with that hope I realized at my salvation and that hope that's going to be realized in my journey and that hope that's going to be culminated when I go to spend eternity with him. And he says, I don't have to do it by myself. He says, I want you to extend beyond your own resources. I want you to call upon the very Spirit of God to come and to infuse you with a supernatural hope to such a degree that someone says, I can't believe what you're going through. How can you have a smile on your face? How can you have joy in your life? And it's not because I've done something. It's because the Spirit himself has infused me with that hope. How does that happen? You know, my two favorite places that if I miss in the mornings, I'm in trouble. Did, did you catch I'm a little emotional person? My two favorite places you'll find me is on my front porch, my dogs running around, the birds chirping in the air, the walkers in the early morning going by. And now my new favorite place is my office downtown for my business. Every morning I get there, I take out my table, I take out my chairs, I sit there, I have the word of God, I have a cup of coffee, I see the manifestation of God's creation and the people that drive by, and the manifestation of God's creation and the people that walk by, occasionally having someone stop by for a set of ho. Most of the sermon was written on that table right there in front of my office. And what am I doing? I'm opening up the word of God and I'm asking him to take by his spirit to infuse that truth into my circumstances and give me a fresh perspective on what's happening in my world, what's happening in my day, what's happening in my relationships. It's when we bring the circumstances, the word of God and the spirit, that's when transformation and hope come together. You know I've pastored for over 31 years. People ask me all the time, John, what's a good sermon? And I suppose there's lots of technical definitions I could give you. There's a lot of different aspects between the hermeneutics and the homiletics of putting a message together. But you know what I love? Is when I know the person in front who's bringing forth that word of God has allowed the word of God, I mean the power of the Holy Spirit, to impact the circumstances of their life. I love hearing the word coming forth from someone who is freshly and daily drinking not only of the word, but drinking of the spirit. That's what I call hope plus because it impacts, it influences, it characterizes the word that comes forth from their mouth. Would you agree with me? 
That's powerful preaching when that occurs and when that happens. Paul says that this new life that we found hope in, when we have the Holy Spirit do what he does in the good, the bad, and this on the screen again, my, uh, I don't know how often they're putting them up there, but the, the, the slide, the good, the bad, and the ugly of life, we get a chance to get visions of what the new heaven and earth is. We get a chance to see bodies that are going to be redeemed. We get a chance to talk about what the full redemption is. I'm going to challenge you at the end to look for those we too moments in your life. I took the we too because it's used in the, in the, um, uh, the uh, good news version uh, for talking about we too have this hope. Those we too moments. Look in your life for the we too moments of anger, frustration, and hopelessness. I don't care whether it's about politics, it's about your job, it's about your relationship, it's about your marriage, it's about your kids. I don't care whether it's about the church. I want you to look for those we too moments and get along with God and allow him to take his word by the power of the spirit to infuse that with hope plus and see what he does with those we too moments of anger, frustration, and hopelessness. Well, here's the last point before we bring it to a close. We need to frame every experience with the work of God. I I love that supernaturally they gave me this passage to share with you. I didn't choose the passage. They chose it for me because it's the next passage in our study of the book of Romans. And this idea of framing every experience has been one of the lifesavers of my life. It's what helped me in 2020 and 21 walk through the loss of my left eye in a missions trip and uh, uh, a tragic bicycle accident which uh, caused tremendous damage, seven days in the hospital and four operations on my left arm. It's what helped me journey through 10 years of childlessness, uh, um, many miscarriages, failed adoptions, adoption agencies taking our money, um, going to the hospital, even here in Newton, and getting ready to pick up a child and having mom change her mind, appropriately so, and with our support, um, and keep the child uh, and to raise as her own. This concept that's laid throughout the scriptures of how we take everything we've talked about these last few moments and we learn how to frame experiences to give us a different perspective and a different outlook. Listen to me. I'm going to get in your business today. Okay? I'm going to get in your business. The church is filled with too much anger and frustration and hopelessness. I'm going to get in your business here. I don't care whether you're a Democrat or a Republic, Republican. Politics for Christians is filled with too much anger, frustration, and hopelessness. We're called to live differently. This is the culminating discipline and practice that allows us to look at our world differently in the midst of injustice, in the midst of the degradation of a culture, in the midst of personal pain. This is how the Holy Spirit brings this hope through the Word of God in our lives. Let me share it with you, then we'll close. Take a look down at verse 28. And we know, another cognitive mind-thinking process, that in all things God works for good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. 
Now, we don't have time to dig into each one of those words, but look at the screen with me. Slides up there. Don't you love how I did that? These are all, look at, look at those words. Called, predestined, conformed, justified, glorified. Who does that work? God does it all. So you need to look at this section of Scripture and say, part of the reason I can, whew, part of the reason I can look at the suffering differently because I know that this is what my God's doing. The very God who also gave the Apostle Paul these words in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, that he who began that good work is going to bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. I know God's at work. It is all of his work that he's doing. But there's three truths that are found in this section of Scripture that I want to take any circumstance of life and I want to put it in the middle of it, okay? And change how I think, how I look at whatever's going on in life. The first one is this. God always loves me. Look down at what the passage is going to be preached next week. What's it say? What shall we say? Who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son? Gave him for us all. How will he not go on grace to give us all these things? He goes on and said, talks about how this, there's this love of God that, inter- that is around us. First John says, if you want to define God, God is love. God's incapable of acting towards you in any unloving way. Now, the world and life hands you garbage. But the reality is, God's incapable of that. So you can rest assured in faith, even though you may not be experiencing it, fully realizing it, fully understanding it, you can rest in faith that God always acts toward me in a loving way, period. Number two, God is always in control. Take a look at that passage of Scripture. Is there anything in there that says God's out of control? Nope. Everything is within the workings of God. You may have rebellious children. God's in control. The American Medical Association may be getting rid of gender identification on a birth certificate. God's in control. The world may be redefining what marriage looks like. God's in control. Evil, wicked people may be elected to office. Depending on which party you are, you can look at it wherever you want. God's in what? Control. Nothing surprising him. Nothing is catching him off guard. Nothing is going to thwart his plans. He is absolutely and completely. So as we work and as we stand, God is still in control. It gives a sense of hope in the midst of the work that we do. What's the third concept on the bottom of that screen? Or side of the screen? God's always working his plan. That's what that 28th verse says, doesn't it? All things work together for good for what? Those who love the Lord. So that means no matter what comes across our path, you give me the nastiest, most suffering, most difficult thing in the world, I'm going to tell you true truths, three truths. Number one, God always acts toward you in a loving way. Number two, God is absolutely in control. And number three, God uses the garbage of this world, the sin of this world, the blank of this world to accomplish his plans and purposes. 
So when you frame every experience with those three truths, and you're praying and you're allowing the Word of God to speak to you, you know what it does for you? It gives you what I call creative hope. That means after I've gone through this on my chair in front of my office with whatever I'm going through at that moment, the rest of the day is spent, I wonder how God's going to do that. What's God going to do? How is God going to use our childlessness? How is God going to use the loss of my left eye? How is God going to use that devastation, devastating accident in the hospital? How is God going to use that nasty attack from that person? How is God... You go to the edge of your seat with a sense of expectation and anticipation because you believe God is working his hope out. Isn't that cool? It transforms every moment and every experience that we have. So I've got some closing questions for you as the worship team comes out. Number one, will you look in your life? Hey, let's find those we too moments. Where are you angry? Where are you frustrated beyond measure? Where do you feel a sense of hopelessness? Can you identify any of those areas? Is it with church? Is it with politics? Is it with our country? Is it with your spouse? Is it with your kids? Is it with what you make for a living or don't make for a living? Is it the loss of the job? What is it? Where are those we too moments? Number two, what are you doing? Where are you placing yourself in those circumstances and situations where you're going to allow God to infuse those we too moments with his hope? Where you're going to say, I'm going to take God's word. (laughs) I'm going to allow the Holy Spirit to come and infuse my circumstances with his hope. And finally, where do you need to frame those we too moments creatively with the truth that comes from God's word that God always acts toward me in a loving way, God is always in control, and God is always accomplishing his plan. Amen? Amen. God blessings to you.